Well, we are in week four of this series called Catch and Release. And uh, we started uh, uh, four weeks ago uh, looking at this life of this guy named Jonah. And what we find through uh, this very uh, short book, uh, it's a snapshot into this man's relationship with God. We, we don't know much of what's going on before uh, this story takes place, and we're not sure what happens after this story, but we get you know, a few days, a few hours glimpse into a pretty intense uh, journey of the life of a man named Jonah. Now, it's easy for us to sit there and kind of read this story, kind of go through this man's story and kind of disconnect from kind of the emotional side of it, where we're just kind of peering into it. But I've thought about over the past few weeks, what if this was my story? What if people were talking about this conversation that I had with God? What if, what if, what, what if Jonah was like sitting out there listening to this story about him? I think he would kind of scream, hey, that's my story. You can't talk about that. That's, that's secret. I don't want anyone to know about that conversation with God. Think about some of your darkest moments with God, some of your deepest conversations with God, would you want everyone to know the subject matter of that conversation? So if you're just coming in to the series for the first time, let me quickly kind of give you a a very uh, oversimplified recap. Week one, basically God said go, and Jonah said no. No. Oversimplified? This was, that's what happened. God said, Jonah, I want to use you to deliver a message to this group of people located in the city of Nineveh. And Jonah said, uh, I would rather not. And so he fled. He ran. Jumped on a boat, tried to get to the furthest point possible. As you, or you might not know, you can't run from God. You can't hide from God. No matter how good you are, how fast you are, how smart you are, how competent you are, God will find you. And God found Jonah. They threw Jonah overboard. And a big fish came and swallowed him. him. That's week two. And week two, God said, "Uh, Jonah, I want you to go. And Jonah really didn't have many options at that point. He was in the belly of a fish. So Jonah said, okay. And in chapter two, we see this whole dialogue between Jonah and God. Then last week, if you were here, we jumped into chapter three. And uh, we actually tried something last week. We we showed the message on video. And uh, it's been fascinating as the entire team kind of jumped into this whole thought. And we're trying to get so many different initiatives up and going. And one of the things is this fall... Uh, we're going to have a brand new website, and we want to be able to not only have the audio podcast, but we want to have the video cast as well, because we know a lot of people would l- love to be able to have the option of seeing it. And so that was one of those things, but we're just trying to figure out kind of this whole video uh, technology and renaissance and our DNA in the church. And so uh, we just showed the video uh, last week of a message that uh, we did in front of a small audience back in late May. And... Uh, it enabled me to kind of have a weekend off, even though 
uh, in one week, I think I gave three messages. So uh, it was, it, it didn't really pay off for me personally. But uh, uh, it, it, was, it, was a, it was one of those just moments that we're just, we're, we're working through kind of our internal kind of uh, uh, strategic pieces. And so with that said, and we've gotten great feedback all across the map. And so if you were here last week, I'm sure if you were here, you have an opinion. And uh, what, I, what I ask from you is, uh, I would love to hear, uh, let me phrase this carefully, constructive criticism. Um, but honestly, I, w- I really would love to hear that. And again, we, we had first-time guests that loved it and first-time guests that didn't like it. And we had long-time Renaissance people that loved it and long-time Renaissance people that didn't. And everyone in between, which we all understand uh, no matter who you are, everyone will see things differently. And so uh, it's been fascinating for us. And so uh, we, uh, we uh, jumped into it, and I think the team as a whole, for the first time ever putting a, a video message together, uh, did an amazing job. And there's a list of things we're learning out of it, which, uh, as all of you as leaders know, that's the entire process, is you, you learn by doing. Uh, you don't learn by sitting having a conversation about what you might want to do, right? You learn by doing. And so, seriously, personally, I would love to have those conversations with you uh, and just hear kind of your, your thinking about it. But we talked about, I talked about in video, uh, chapter three. And if you missed last week, let me, let me say this. If you missed last week, the video's up on the web. If you go to renaissance.org, you can uh, watch it there. And again, I would love uh, any feedback you have, uh, constructive feedback. And... Uh, and so uh, chapter three was all about Jonah delivering this message that God gave to him, to, to this entire city, this entire people group located in the city of Nineveh. And chapter three ended like this, verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they returned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. He relented. What an amazing moment in the story of Jonah. Even though Jonah ran, even though Jonah found himself in a a really bad situation in the belly of a fish, he finally reluctantly, but he went. And in verse 10, it's like God relented. God was going to bring death and destruction on this group of people. And God saw how they changed their lives, how they turned away from their evil ways and started to walk and repent and follow God's ways. What an amazing moment in the story. But have you ever watched a movie before where right at the end of the movie, like you're expecting this great Hollywood ending that will make you feel all like warm and fuzzy inside where you grab the the Kleenex box not you men. I mean, you just kind of do that. I got something stuck in my eye moment. Right? And it leaves you feeling all amazing inside. But have you ever watched one of those movies that just leaves you like emotionally conflicted? Like you're like, this can't be the ending. Because in verse 10, it's all nice, warm, and fuzzy feeling. God relents. Jonah delivered deliver the message. You know, everyone's celebrating. Woohoo! But we still have chapter four of this story. And what you're going to feel today isn't that Hollywood movie ending. My wife and I recently uh, went and watched a, a movie, and she promised, made me promise her 
that I wouldn't uh, uh, tell you the name of the movie because I'll completely ruin the entire movie. And I always do what my wife asks me to do. And uh, <laughs> so today I'm not going to ruin the movie for you. But there's this moment towards the end where the three main characters all die. The camera, pan shot, kind of moves up over them as they're dying. And literally in this moment, in the movie theater, I watch my wife's hands go up like this to her head. And I literally say out loud, oh no. (laughs) And for about 45 seconds, I mean, the emotional like confliction inside of you were just like screaming like, there has to be another ending. You can't leave us like this. So my wife's hands up like this. My, my hands are kind of like, like, I'm not even sure what to do as I'm sitting there going, this can't be the ending. And then you hear one of the main characters who's been doing this kind of, she's been telling the story throughout the movie. She said this simple line. She goes, well, that's how I thought the ending would happen. And then they kind of rewind the ending and show a whole new ending. And you're like, just that feeling of it can't end that way. Chapter four is going to leave you kind of emotionally conflicted. You're going to kind of sit there going, really? That's the end of the story? And there's going to be several moments throughout chapter four that's just going to stir up emotionally for you, spiritually for you, trying to, like, what am I supposed to learn from this? But as we all know, sometimes in the difficult seasons of life, we learn the most. You see, we quickly go from chapter 3, verse 10. God relents. People celebrate. To chapter 4, verse 1. Listen to... What takes place? But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. Let that settle for a moment. Over 120,000 people's lives were saved from God's wrath and judgment. Over 120,000 people radically shifted their lives, repented, changed their ways, and started to follow God. Yet Jonah, this man of God, this spiritual leader, he was angry. He was upset. How did those two moments connect? And you see, that's chapter four really gets to the essence, to the, 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 the central issue that God was trying to reveal within Jonah. What we're going to see in chapter 4 is the real issue. Not the surface issue, but the real issue that God was trying to point out to Jonah and saying, Jonah, you have a blind spot and you need to see it. I'm not sure for you, personally. So I won't won't 
place this thought on you, even though I think probably everyone in this room has thought this, have, has asked this, has processed this at some point, but I don't want to assume that, so I'll just put it on me. But I'll ask it this way. Have you ever thought this thought? Well, if I was God, I would. I know it's easy for, for all of us to kind of go, well, Chris, I'm not God. I know I'm not God. But yet there's moments that, again, I'm not sure for you, but for me, where I have this thought, if I were God, I'd do things a little differently. For instance, here's on my list. If I was God, I would make certain foods that I love zero calories. Let's take, for instance, cookie dough ice cream. I would move cookie dough ice cream onto the vegetable list. Carrots, celery, cookie dough ice cream. It would just live there. If I was God, I could make that happen. And I would. If I was God, I would also slide to the vegetable list those really big, thick ribeye steaks. Oh. Not the like little like six ounce version. I'm talking the 36 ounce version. I just slide that right on over to the vegetable list. Carrots, celery, cookie dough ice cream, and big, thick ribeye steaks. It lived there. If I was God, I would just wipe out humidity. There'd never be a humid day ever. Ever. The ecosystem doesn't need humidity. It's overrated anyway. And if I was God, I could right, rebalance everything. If I was God, and I'm not sure which one I would want to do yet, I would either wipe out the entire mosquito population or I would just make it so that they wouldn't bite me. I'm not sure which way I'd go yet because there's part of me that thinks it'd still be fun for you to experience all the mosquitoes that live here in the great state of New Jersey. If I was God, if I was God, I would do something with the aging process. And I haven't quite figured out what I would do with it, but uh, last week, I, uh, I, uh, I turned 39. I know, some of you are like, shut up. Yeah, but some, some of you, if you can still remember your 39th birthday, uh, it, the clock is ticking to 40, and I'm not sure what I feel about that magical age, but my, my girls, uh, uh, this was a week ago, they were sitting on my lap, and at the same time, uh, they found a little white hair on my chest. I'm like, hey, Dad, what's that? I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, your hair, it's turning white. I'm like, oh, I'm not sure what to think about that. Uh, so if I was God, I would just, I would start shifting some aging uh, uh, pieces to life and, uh, and get rid of white hair. <laughs> if I was God. We're going to get into chapter four. And basically, you know what Jonah is going to say to God? Hey, God. You're wrong. Hey, God, your plans are flawed. Hey, God, I have a better way. Hey, God, 
you really don't know what you're doing. Hey, God. And I think for everyone here today, we all have, to some degree, a God complex. Where at some point, we just think we know better than God. And at some point, we think our plans are better than God. And at some point, we know how life should happen better than God. And in different ways, we tell God what we think. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. And verse 2, listen to what happens. He gave God a piece of his mind. Oh, wait. It doesn't say that in my Bible. It says he prayed. That's, that's that translation. I like mine better if I was God. Because we, we hear the word pray, and I, again, I don't, I'm not sure for you, but for me, you hear this word pray and you think, that, you think that you have to say the right words and you have to talk all reverent and you have to use these and thous and really big words to impress God. In reality, God just wants to hear your heart articulated. He already knows it. He knows what's going on inside of you. He just wants you to say it. And so Jonah, he prayed, but more than just praying, he literally told God what he thought. And listen to his words. Isn't this what I, had, I said, Lord, when I was still at home? Okay. There's more to that than that simple little question. You know what Jonah was saying? Hey, God, we've had this conversation before. Hey, God, don't you remember all the way back to chapter 1? I had an issue with what you wanted me to do back then. And I still have the same issue now. Hey, God, my issue was I told you exactly what was going to happen. Hey, God, I disagreed with you before. I reluctantly followed you and I still disagree now. Hey, God, I didn't like it then and I still don't like it now. Hey, God, we've done this before. And if you would have listened to me, my life would have been easier. Hey, God, really? You're a smart guy. If I can figure this out, God, why can't you figure this out? Hey, God. That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. You see, you see this, uh, this place for Jonah as on one side, he's telling God exactly what he thinks, but yet on the other side, he realizes that God is this compassionate and loving God. The word compassionate in the original uh, language has this whole connotation about the love and care and nurture that uh, a woman has for a child in her womb. And Jonah's saying, God, I get 
how compassionate you are. Not only for himself, but for all people. And then he uses this word love. There is no word in the English language that can define this word he used, has said. Which gets to the essence of this uh, uh, covenantal relationship between him and God. Where Hesed talks about God's compassion and his mercy and his loving kindness and his commitment in this covenant that is formed between God and his people. And on one side, Jonah's like, I get that, God. I get who you are, your innate character. But God, I still disagree with you. And I don't like your plan. And I don't like what you wanted me to do. And I don't embrace what you're trying to accomplish. And there this this intense tension erupts within Jonah. To the point where he said, God, I would rather die. Because Jonah fully realized God's plan for his life. He fully realized that he must be within God's will. And anything outside of that would have been bad. But within God's will, he disagreed with God's will. And so Jonah would rather die than first be outside of God's will. But he would also rather die so he doesn't have to do what God wants him to do. Feel that tension? Have you felt that tension between you and God before? Maybe right now you're living in it. And I think that's a healthy place to be. Because outside of that tension... It means you're running from him. And I'll just be really transparent. You can run from God, but you can't hide. And he'll always find you and he'll always catch up. And when you run from God, it always ends, uh, it always leads you and it always ends up for you into a dark, dark place. It never turns out good when you run from God. But yet, When we're having to face God and his words and his plans and his desires for you, when like we have to find that space, the tension forms. Why? There's a tension between God's absolute holiness and our absolute humanity. And all of us in this room, at some point in our lives, our God complex rises up. And we just think we know better than God. And God says, hey, there's the tension. You see, for Jonah, the, the surface issue wasn't the real issue. It, we, we looked at this whole Ninevite culture and how evil they were. And Jonah was uh, potentially scared to go into this culture because he might get killed. Like he was scared to go into this culture where evil just flourished, especially with this message, hey, repent. That wasn't the real issue. It wasn't the real issue at all. You know what the real issue for Jonah was? Pride. 
his ego. See, he was a prophet of God. And God was sending him into a culture that everyone, all of his friends, all of his family, all these uh, Israelites would have said, there's no way Nineveh would ever turn from their ways. No way. They're that evil. They're that bad. There's no way. And so Jonah just went in expecting there's no way they're going to turn. And because they won't turn, God's wrath will come down and everyone will celebrate me for being a prophet of God. Guess where Jonah found himself? Well, God, no one's going to believe that I was actually your prophet because your wrath didn't come and no one can actually believe that the Ninevites would actually turn from their ways. That's, a, that's impossible. And Jonah's saying to God, hey, God, this didn't work out like I planned. Hey, God, all my friends and family, they're going to think I'm a false prophet. Because there's no way that they could ever believe that the Ninevites would actually turn from their ways. You see the real issue with Jonah? He was upset that over 120,000 people actually repented because Jonah was more concerned with himself and his reputation and his needs than God's plan. Watch this unfold. Verse four, but the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry This wasn't like this accusatory type of question. I think God's just kind of leaning back. He's allowing Jonah to process all of this out loud. And God just asks a very good question. Is it okay? Should you be angry about this? I wonder if God just kept on going a little bit. Okay, Jonah, I get that you're angry, but Jonah, you can't really be angry that 120,000 people lived, can you? Jonah, you can't really be angry. I mean, men and women and kids are living right now because of the message that you delivered. That can't anger you, can it? Come on, Jonah. You really didn't want that entire nation to be destroyed, did you? I love Jonah's response. Verse five. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a a shelter, sat in the shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. If I was writing this story, instead of the word waited, I would have wrote the word pouted. (laughs) Jonah went out and threw a tantrum. Jonah went out and crossed his arms had that scowl on his face. If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. It's that look. And he just sat there and he was like, God, I'm going to show you. You know what Jonah was doing? Hey, God, just wait. They didn't really repent. It was just a show. God, just give it enough time and they'll go back to their evil ways. And God, I think it's going to happen so quickly that I'm just going to sit there. It's going to happen within minutes or hours. And so there he threw his little 
temper tantrum. I mean, he waited. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so it withered. Now, if I was God, I would do that. That's awesome. <laughs> when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Jonah was so stubborn and so self-unaware and so prideful that he sat there. This east wind that, that rose up, they talked about it in this, this region. Literally, it would raise the temperature some 16 to 22 degrees Fahrenheit within just moments. Jonah was so hot and dehydrated that he almost fainted. But yet he was so prideful that he refused to walk back down off that little ridge into a city that had shelter and had protection and had water because he was going to prove God wrong. Verse 9, but God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And Jonah goes, yes. Jonah's having a bad day. <laughs> and he said again, and I'm so angry, I wish I was dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. And you, and and should I have not concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. You know what God said to Jonah? Jonah, you care so much about you your comfort, your desires, your reputation, your wants. And you fail to realize you stop seeing that you delivered a message that changed over 120,000 people's lives. Because you're so consumed with you. You know how the story ends? with these four words and also many animals question mark there's no more 
There's no happy ending. There's no warm and fuzzy tale. It's God saying to a man, really? You are so consumed with yourself. You are so focused on you that you miss the entire point. But here's what I know. We all have that same struggle, don't we? It's easy to get to that place where we start looking so inward that we miss what God's trying to do. Where our pride consumes us. Our selfishness consumes us. And God's trying to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Get your eyes off of yourself and start looking out. You see, that tension has everything to do with God's absolute sovereignty and holiness. And our absolute humanity and all of its flaws. And so my challenge for you is simply this. When you feel that tension, when you have those moments when God speaks to you, and he does that so many different ways, he speaks to you through his word. I mean, for some of you, you need to go back and read through this, this, the entire story of Jonah again and again and again. God speaks to us through other people. God speaks through us through people like me. And I know, like, some of you, like, leave here on Sunday mornings, you're like, I don't like what that guy said. I don't even know if I like that guy. <laughs> Here's the only thing I have to say to you. You only get 30 minutes or 35-ish. I have to spend weeks studying through this and God hammering me. And I have to, like, preach this, not just three times on Sunday morning. I'll preach it another four or five times at, in my house, getting ready. Like, God just keeps going at me and at me and at me and at me. So if you don't like the 35-minute version, come spend a week with me. I'll give you, like, the 40-hour version. Because there's never a Sunday morning that I don't deliver a message that God's not all, um, already convicting me on something within that message. God speaks to us in those quiet moments, and quiet moments can be life screaming around you, but all of a sudden you just get this nudging. I like to call it a whisper, even though I've never heard God's audible voice. I'd like to, that'd be cool. If, if I were God, if I was God, I would just like shout in people's ears just to scare them a little bit. It'd be fun. I'm going to add that to the list. But it's just these, these nudgings where you just kind of go, yeah, that's not quite right in my life. Question, do you face that? That's the question. Do you, or do you just pass it off? 
I wrote down a few thoughts as I've thought about this whole series, and, and th- this is kind of a personal list for me. Uh, there could be more on this list, but I just want to share this with you as we kind of bring the story, this series to a close. Here's a question. What is causing you to run from God? Now, maybe you're not actually running yet, but you want to, or you're getting ready to. You're lacing up your running shoes because that tension of dealing with God's holiness and his plan and what he's trying to uh, communicate to you and your humanity and your God complex, you'd rather run than live in that tension. And my encouragement for you, live in that tension. Because in that tension, God wants you to learn and God wants you to lean into him and God wants you to grow and God wants to do something within you. So what is, what is that thing? What is creating spiritual tension in your life? Pay attention to it. And let me tell you this. Usually what you're looking at on the surface isn't the real issue. Get underneath it. And sometimes you need to bring other people into your world to help you really see what that is underneath the surface. Can you articulate that tension? Can you isolate that tension? Because in that tension, God wants you to grow and God is trying to get your attention. And God doesn't want you to run. He'll let you run. But he knows when you run from him, It always leads to a dark place. Then I wrote these thoughts down. Through a big fish and a small worm, God is going to get your attention. And he'll use sometimes the most absurd methods to get your attention. Two, in disobedience, God will use you. Think back to chapter one. Jonah on the boat, massive storm, as he's trying to run from God. And in that disobedience, when God raises up that massive storm, the sailors repented and changed their their ways. So in disobedience, God will use you. And in reluctant obedience, God will use you. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to have a perfect life. You don't have to have all the answers You just have to say, okay, God, I'll follow you. Even if you follow him kicking and screaming and complaining and telling God uh, the right way to do things. Three, God doesn't care about your comfort. He wants all of his people to have a relationship with him. And let that one just settle in your spirit a little bit. If you've accepted Christ, if you find yourself in that part of your spiritual journey, let that one sink into your spirit a little bit. God doesn't care about your comfort. He wants all people, whether that's one or over 120,000 people to have a relationship with him. And God wants you. He wants to have a relationship with you. Even those moments where you pout 
and even those moments where you throw a tantrum, and even though those moments where you pray, translated, you tell God exactly what you think of him, God just wants you to be in a relationship with him. And he wants you to live in that tension spiritually. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for this time we had together. I thank you for uh, the story of Jonah, at least a snapshot of his life. Lord, uh, I pray for everyone here uh, that, that they will look inward to what you are trying to communicate to them, what you're trying to do within them, the change that you're trying to, to make within every person here. Because I know that's been the journey for me is I've had to look at myself. Lord, I pray that we will always know that even within the tension, you're there to walk with us. And even in those moments where we're telling you what we think, that you're so committed to walk with us. In your name I pray, amen.